Colossians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a red one nearby. And if you are using that uh, Bible, it is on page 7, no, 572. 572. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. And like I said, last week we concluded our Advent series as we were anticipating the arrival of Jesus on Christmas. And now that we're done, uh, you know, the question is, what are we going to talk about today? Because, you know, next week starts a new year, so new sermon series, a new year. So what happens on that Sunday in between? A lot of churches like to call this intern Sunday when an intern comes up and typically preaches their first sermon to the church. Uh, But we're a church plant, so we don't have an intern. You just have me. Uh, So I was trying to think, hey, what could we talk about on this in-between Sunday? And then I thought, here in the West, we typically celebrate Christmas on the 25th, and then that's it. But actually, the church throughout the generations have celebrated the season of Christmas starting on the 24th in the evening for 12 days. And so it's still the season of Christmas. In fact, we have our Advent candle still lit and including the Christ candle because Jesus has come and we are continuing to celebrate his birth. And so I felt it was appropriate for us to do another Christmas sermon. But then I was thinking, hey, we have done a lot of the Christmas stories already. Uh, there's not many more from the Gospels still cut. So I thought, all right, uh, I'll do this passage from Colossians chapter 1. And you might be thinking, Jeremy, a letter from Paul to the Colossians doesn't sound like a Christmas story. And, and you might be right, but I'm, I'm going to s- offer you two arguments why this is a Christmas message. First, Christmas is about Jesus, and all Scripture is about Jesus. Whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, it all points to Jesus. And the Old Testament's pointing forward to Jesus, and in the New Testament, it's looking back at who Jesus is and what he has done. And so if every scripture is about Jesus, then I know with confidence I could probably take any passage and link it to Christmas. So that's my challenge. But then secondly, as we read this passage, you'll see that Paul is going to touch on a theme uh, that we've already covered in our Advent series, that in the birth of Jesus, God himself was coming to be with us. You know, he's going to say Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And he's going to say that the fullness of God dwelt in him. God is with us in Jesus. And so Colossians 1 is a Christmas passage. But it's more than that. You know, Paul doesn't actually reference the idea of Christmas, but he does talk about Jesus and what it means that he has come into the world. But you'll see more in this passage, more than Christmas. And that's actually what I want to talk about now. That even Christmas itself points us to something bigger than Christmas. The coming of Jesus points us to something, a reality, that's bigger than what we celebrate on Christmas. And unless we know what it's pointing to that's more than Christmas, then we won't fully understand what this season is about. And so would you please follow along as I read Colossians 1, verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, 
all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, and we ask through your Spirit and your Word that it would enlighten our hearts to see what does this season point us to. It points us to something that is bigger than itself. Open our eyes to see that through faith this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look through this passage, I'm going to focus on three things that are more than Christmas. And that's my, that's my outline for today. The first is I want to show you that Jesus himself is more than Christmas. Secondly, I want to show you that our salvation is more than Christmas. And then third, we're going to see that we need to have a faith that is more than Christmas. So Jesus is more than Christmas. Our salvation is more than Christmas. And finally, we need to have a faith that is more than Christmas. In 2006, Will Ferrell uh, starred in this comedy movie called Talladega Nights. I hope you've seen it. It's uh, about uh, this, this NASCAR driver, Ricky Bobby, and his antics with his uh, co-driver and his partner and his family. And it's, it's a silly movie. But there's this iconic scene in the movie where they all gather around the dinner table and they've got this bountiful feast in front of them and they begin to pray and Will Ferrell's Ricky Bobby begins to pray like this. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn, infant, sweet baby Jesus in his golden fleece diapers. And it's pretty silly. And they go on and on about, you know, Jesus isn't just a baby, but that's what Ricky Bobby likes to pray to, sweet baby Jesus. And it's certainly a funny scene and a funny movie. Uh, but I do wonder at times if that idea of sweet little baby Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas hasn't overflowed into the rest of our thinking about who Jesus is. You know, we love to have nativity scenes and books and plays that highlight this baby Jesus. And I love those things too. But I wonder, have we carried that image over into the rest of the year. Maybe we don't consciously do this, but I think practically we might. And I think sometimes we go to Jesus when we need something from him. That we, we think of him as sort of our helper or our assistant. We say, hey, hey Jesus, I'm, ah, man, I'm really stuck in this situation between a rock and a hard place. If you only will just, man, if you'll get me out of here, I'll start going to church more. I'll start reading more of your word. We tend to think of him as someone who can help us. And, uh, you know, sometimes we think if, if we're facing tough circumstances, 
the rest of our life might be fine, but when those tough circumstances arise, we go to Jesus and say, all right, God, I, I know I haven't talked much, but will you please help me? And that's, you know, it's good. We should go to Jesus for help. But I wonder if we think of Jesus as too small in our lives, that we only really go to him when it's dire and we need his help. I said during the Advent season that Christmas time is uh, one of those few times out of the year where our non-Christian neighbors almost expect us to invite them to come to church. And year after year, a lot of our neighbors do come to church. That's pretty common. And I wonder if one of the reasons why they feel comfortable going to church is because sweet baby Jesus, he's manageable. He's cute. He's innocent. He doesn't really require much of us. They can handle him. He can't do anything to hurt us. People don't actually have to deal with sweet baby Jesus. Talladega Nights continues in this, this joke, and they continue by saying, hey, you know, what else do we think of Jesus? One, one of the boys says that he likes to think of Jesus as a, as a ninja who fights samurai. Another guy says that he thinks of Jesus wearing a, a tuxedo t-shirt, you know, because he's formal, but he also likes to party. Or sometimes they think of him as having eagle's wings and singing backup for Leonard Skinner. We like to think of Jesus sort of what we want him to be for us. And a lot of times we think of him far too small. Paul shows us in this passage, however, that Jesus is far more than Christmas sweet baby Jesus. Look with me at verse 16. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you see that? Christ is preeminent above all things. All things he stands above. Paul says there are four ways in which Christ is preeminent. Because first, all things were created by him. Jesus was in the beginning. He is the word that was spoken into the void and everything came into being. Second, all things were created for him. Because he is our creator, everything finds its goal, its end, its purpose in bringing glory to Jesus. We were made to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Three, all things were created after him. Jesus is the eternally begotten of the Father. He is not a created creature. He has always existed for all time. And after him has come everything. He sits in perfect harmony with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And fourth, all things are sustained in him. All things are held together in him. You know, it might not look like the world is sort of held together right now. There's a lot of chaos in the midst of the world. But have you ever looked at like a beautifully woven tapestry on the underside? It's chaotic. It's messy. There's no pattern. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. But then you flip it over and you realize that the artist has beautifully woven things together to create a beautiful image. This world might seem chaotic, and yet underneath it, there is beautiful order. There is beautiful purpose. 
And Jesus is the one who spoke that into being and holds it now together. Paul wants to see us to see who Jesus really is, that he is above all things. We dare not come to him and think that we can picture him how we like. We dare not come to him and say, you are just so little and manageable and I can deal with you and would you please help me? We dare not try to make Jesus into anything other than who he really is, the preeminent one of all of creation. The pastor, Tim Keller, in New York City talks about when, when he came to realize this. He was sitting in a class, and the teacher uh, explained the preeminence of Christ like this. She said this, If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, was no more than the thickness of a sheet of paper, then the distance from the earth to the nearest star besides the sun would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. And the diameter of the Milky Way would be a stack of paper over 300 millions high. Keep in mind that there are more galaxies in the universe than we can even number. There are more, it seems, than the dust specks in the air or the grains of sand on the seashore. Now, if Jesus Christ holds all of that together in just the word of his power... Is he the kind of person that you simply ask into your life to be your assistant? No. We need to have a proper understanding of who this Jesus is. He is the one who stands above it all. He is the one who is preeminent above all things. We can't just regulate Jesus to Sunday mornings. We, we can't just sort of compartmentalize him in our heads or in our hearts and that we can pull out when we need him. He stands supreme over all things. He is supreme over our marriages. He is supreme over our children. He stands supreme over how we go to work, over our wallets, over our relationships. Jesus Christ stands supreme over all things in your life. Do you acknowledge that on a daily basis? Do you come to him as sweet baby Jesus, someone that you can manage? Or do you come to him as the Lord of lords and King of kings? Jesus is so much more than Christmas. One of the ways that we can become more and more in tune with this reality is if we find ourselves spending more and more time actually connecting with him. Yeah, we can actually connect, build a relationship with Jesus, the preeminent one, through reading his very word to us, by spending time in prayer talking to him and hearing from him, by communing with him through, through the sacraments, by spending time in fellowship with his body, the church, we can connect with Jesus. This is what God has done for us through sending his son at Christmas. Our salvation is more than what we celebrate at Christmas. Let me, let me clarify what I'm saying. At Christmas, we celebrate that Christ has come into the world as our Savior. Yes and amen. I talked about that last week, how he has given his life for us to save us from our sins. Yes and amen. But what God has done through sending his son is more than that. It's not less than that, certainly not, but it is more than that. 
what God has done through his son is he has made a way for us to actually have a relationship with God, a friendship, an intimate relationship. Look with me at verse 20. Paul says about Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. What Jesus has done is made reconciliation. And that word reconciliation, we use it all the time, but it's at its root, it is a relationship word. It is a word to describe two parties that once were at odds and now have come back together. We, we use it often in terms of marriages. When, when marriages are going through rough times and they seek out help and counseling or pastoral care, it, what we want to see in those marriages is reconciliation, coming back together, becoming friends, enjoying time together. What Jesus has done for us to reconcile us is he's taken two parties that were once at odds with each other and has brought us back into relationship. This is what Paul says in verse 21, that we were once alienated from God. We were hostile in our minds towards him. We were doing evil deeds which were overflowing out of a rebellious heart. We were God's enemies. But then Jesus came and has made us his friends again. We have been reconciled to God. What Jesus offers us through Christmas is, is more than just our salvation, our redemption from sins, how great that is. He has offered us a relationship. This is what is so beautiful about Christianity. It is not a religion, it is a relationship. What Jesus offers us is a relationship. And I know Christmas time, it's hard to get away from that religion word. Christmas time is filled with traditions, whether it's in the church or at home with your family. I know for me growing up, I went to church every Christmas Eve, got all dressed up. We went out to dinner. Our grandparents were in town for it. We, we, went, we sort of sat in the same seat every time. I had to remember the songs uh, that my parents liked to sing in church. And, you know, I knew when to stand up, when to sit down. We did candle lights like we did last week. That was my tradition growing up. Maybe you've had some similar traditions yourself. But I think the idea of tradition and, and, and religion maybe even on a weekly basis, we sometimes fall into that too. We, we get up on Sundays and we think we have to dress up and we go and we find our seats and we know when to stand up, we know when to sit down, we know when to speak, we know when to be silent. We, we know what to say when we come forward. We, we, know, we know all the rules, the rituals. But rituals aren't just for more traditional churches. Even take less traditional churches. There's still rituals there too. You're not going to wear suits, but maybe you'll wear skinny jeans and do your hair a certain way because that's what everyone else does. You go, you get your weekly skinny vanilla latte. You find your seat that you sit in every time so that you know who's around you to say hi to. You know the way that the music goes, how to sway back and forth, raising your hands. You, you know the rituals. Like, it doesn't matter what style of church, whether traditional or not traditional, contemporary, whatever. Every church has rituals. And so the problem isn't, let's get rid of rituals. The problem is we need to remember that what Jesus offers us is a relationship. 
So that when we come to church, whether it's Christmas or any old Sunday, what we come with is we enter into a relationship. It's like the difference between attending a royal wedding and hanging out at your friend's barbecue in the backyard. We're, we're watching The Crown, so I'm, I'm thinking about royal weddings a lot. At a royal wedding, you have to get dressed up, and you have to know where to stand, and you can't misbehave. You're always wondering, hey, if I get out of place, they're going to report me, and then the host, you know, the queen, she's going to kick me out. There's sort of rules you have to follow. And that's different than going to your buddy's barbecue, right? You don't care so much what you're wearing. You come in, you feel like you're the welcomed guest. You can sit down next to the host and laugh. You can just be yourself. The difference here is not so much formal versus informal. It's relationship over distance. Like at a royal wedding, you are not close to the host at all. But at a barbecue, man, you can sit right next to them. There is a place for formality when we come to God. Yes, we need to be reverent. But we always need to remember that we come to God as our friend who welcomes us in, where we can be real, we can be ourselves. We don't have to worry that we're going to be reported and kicked out. We can be friends with God. We are friends with God. We're in a relationship with him. Would friends uh, be a word that describes your relationship with God? I mean, if you ask one of your friends if they thought that you were friends with God, would they say yes or no? And I don't mean like Facebook friends where you, you know, you chose to follow him years ago and now you hit mute on his feed so you don't have to listen to what he says because he's you know, crazy conspiracy theories. No, not, not that kind of friend. This is a real, legitimate intimate relationship that we are welcomed into, that, that requires, like all good relationships, time and attention and communication. Like, I know this is a struggle for me. I mean, it's hard to find even just five minutes in such busy times to connect with God. From the moment I wake up, my mind is just flooded with thoughts about the day, about work and family and our schedules. And then I get going and I go to work and I do all I got to do. And then I'm done and I'm hanging out with my kids. We're making dinner. We're having dinner. We're cleaning up. And then I'm, my, pillow, my head's on the pillow again. I mean, my day is just so filled up. It's hard to pull away and connect with God. But that is what we are invited into, a relationship with him. Hey, the end of the year is right around the corner, and at this time, usually people resolve to make new commitments in their life. I challenge you to make a commitment, resolve this year, to draw closer to God. He has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. What would it look like for you to find one, maybe two ways to get into a new routine, a new habit, drawing closer to the God who has made us his friend. One indicator of experiencing that friendship might be through active participation in the local church. Here at Story Church, we've got many ways to serve and to connect and get together, and we would love for that to happen. One way to draw closer to Jesus, to draw closer to him, is through connecting with his body. 
you know, growing up in a large church, uh, me and my youth group buddies would always uh, foolishly, I think, uh, have a nickname for the people that we'd see on Christmas Eve service. We call them CNEs. You ever call that? CNEs are people that come on Christmas Eve and then on Easter, and we don't see them the rest of the year. And uh, it was foolish of us to, to call them that, but it was still true. A lot of people do come on Christmas Eve and then come again on Easter. Uh, but I heard a statistic the other day that, that frightened me even more than that. Uh, Ed Stetzer, who does analytics for church growth dynamics, he, he released this poll recently. He concluded that amongst active church members, not CDs, active church members, that their participation in Sunday morning worship service is that they would attend five out of every eight weeks of the year. Five out of eight. That's just slightly over 50%. These are active church members. And I know that we have sort of have an asterisk on that. We're a church plant. We need higher participation. I mean, we would shut our doors if we had five of every eight weeks. But it makes me think, if that's attendance on Sunday mornings, Man, what does our faith look like Monday through Saturday? Even for active members of a church, what does our faith look like Monday through Saturday? Christmas is a time, it's a unique time of the year. Everything around us, the whole world, enables us, it sort of motivates us, it propels us to remember Jesus. It's unique, and the whole rest of the year is not like this, but Christmas is like this. So, like, every store reminds us of Jesus. Every work party reminds us of Jesus. Every meal with friends and family reminds us of Jesus. When we give gifts, we are reminded of Jesus. But I wonder, are we only being reminded of that sweet baby Jesus in the manger? Or are we being reminded of the preeminent Christ, who stands above all things, who rules over our lives Monday through Saturday too. I fear that our Monday through Saturday faith is small, small like sweet baby Jesus. Paul is saying in this passage that we need to have faith. We must have faith that is stronger and more than Christmas faith. When the season of Christmas is over and we get back into the cold, long, dark winter, when the pains and problems start resurfacing after this great time of joy, is our faith strong enough to weather those storms? When the waves begin to rock our boat, will our faith carry us through? Jesus even warns us of this. In the parable of the sower, he says that there's one type of soil when the seed falls, it is shallow. It does not grow roots. And although it springs up with great joy, the trials of the world bear down on it and the plant withers away. Paul in this passage is saying that we must have faith that is more than Christmas faith. Look with me here at verse 22. What Jesus has done through us or through for us is reconcile us back to God. And he says this, so that he might present us holy and blameless and above reproach before God, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we heard. What Paul is calling us to is a daily, a regular, a firm, a stable, a steadfast faith whose foundation is in the gospel message of Jesus. 
What is that message? Well, it's, it's not the cute messages on the, the wall paintings or the coffee mugs that say, hey, it's okay, in the end it'll all work out. Or, or the message that says, hey, he's got your back. The gospel message that will carry us through even the darkest of times is this. God is holy, he is just, and you and I are not. And at the end of our lives, we are going to stand before him as a just and holy God, and we will be judged for how we have lived our lives. We will either be judged on the basis of our righteousness or our lack of it, our, our ability to accomplish our own efforts to gain acceptance, or we will be judged on the basis of another's righteousness. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a perfect life of righteousness, perfect obedience before God, not for his own well-being, but for the well-being of his people, you and I. He has done for us what we could not possibly do for ourselves. But not only has he lived that perfect life of obedience, he offered himself as a blameless, spotless sacrifice to satisfy that justice and that perfect holiness of God in our place. That is the gospel message that we have heard and which we can stand firm on. That can be our stable, steadfast anchor in the storm. We need that. Look, we need to be reminded of this ever-present assurance of God's love so that when the trials do come, because they are coming, we can stand firm. Look, what we need is some kind of anchor. Uh, like a, have, you, have you ever been on a boat and it tilts back and forth and you know, you know it looks like it might tip, but you know underneath the boat there's a rudder, there's a fin that sticks down into the water and it sort of acts as a counterforce. I, I was at a, a bachelor party for a friend a couple years ago at a lake house and we had some paddle boards, you know, the things where you stand up and paddle your way through the lake. Well, we couldn't find the fins on the paddle boards that lock in. And so we got out there and tried to paddle, and as soon as we stood up there and tried to paddle, we'd fall into the lake. What we needed was something firm and stable, something steadfast to counteract against the waves rocking the boat. Do you have something like that? It can't be your own experience. It can't be your own memory. It can't even be your own desires and affections for Jesus. You need something outside of yourself that you can always look to so that when it gets hard, when your marriages falter, when your children get under your skin, when life falls apart, you can look to something as an anchor for your soul to remind yourself that God loves you and has saved you through his son, that he has brought you back to him, and that in him, you will always be saved. We need something like that. And Paul gives it to us. Right there in the middle of the passage in verse 20, Paul gives it to us. We have been reconciled to the Father because Jesus had made peace by the blood of his cross. We can look to the cross, to the blood of his cross, where he died for us, where God's love was demonstrated for us. It is something outside of ourselves that will not ever fade away. That sacrifice can be the anchor for your soul.
we can always look to the cross and be reminded again and again and again, we are God's friends. Christmas is about so much more than just Christmas. It is a reminder of what God has done through sending his son, the preeminent one, the one who stands above it all, came to make a way for us to be friends with God. And no matter our circumstances, we can always hold on to that truth because we will always have the cross. We will always have what Jesus did, giving his life for us to draw us back to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. We thank you for this word to remind us of what you have done, to call us into a deeper faith, not out of our own strength, but out of your grace, Lord, that draws closer and closer to you through Jesus. We ask, Father, through your spirit, that when the waves of life rock our boat, that we would cling tightly to the cross, our firm and stable anchor. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done to bring us close to the Father. In your name we pray, amen.